Am I on? Can you guys hear me? I'm on. All right. Good morning, guys. Oliwetia. For those of you that don't know, that is a greeting in Luganda. That means hello. How are you guys? So I hope you are are well this morning. Uh, I want to give a quick update on my ministry that's been happening over the last year in Uganda. And then I want to take a few minutes and open up the Word of God together uh, and just share what God's laid on my heart. Um, so as Ken said, for those who do not know me, which I hope most of you guys do know me, my name is Tyler. Uh, my mom and dad are here, uh, Jenny and Bill Baker. And I've spent the last year over in Africa. Uh, am I on yet? That's my PowerPoint. Okay, perfect. For those of you who do not know, that is Africa. Um, <laughs> truth bomb. So, in my time, I left January of last year of 2018. My journey started in South Africa. And so for those who don't know, this is South Africa, the southernmost country in Africa. So in my time in South Africa, uh, I spent two months there. That time was there to help me prepare for what I was going to embark on in Uganda. Um, So if you go to the next slide. So there was a lot of different ministries that I did in South Africa. Uh, A lot of Bible clubs, uh, a lot of different ministries. Uh, A couple in particular, if you look in the top left corner, uh, the ministry called Zansprut. It is a community in South Africa outside of Johannesburg. Uh, It's a slum. And so every week we would go in and we'd have about 200 kids that were the worst troublemakers in the world. And we would teach them Bible lessons and share the love of Christ with them and play games with them. Um, To the extreme of these kids would fist fight each other just to sit on your lap as you wanted to spend time with them. Uh, Wrestle each other to the ground just to be with you. Uh, And it was a really cool ministry. And God opened up many doors there. Uh, And so... When I was there, they also had a school called the Discipleship Training School, uh, DTS, which there we took those students. There's about 15 students there in that school. We take about eight of them every single week and deal with about two or 300 kids, uh, fun-loving kids. Um, I also did things like, on the right, as you can see, there's a soccer ministry we would do. Um, I am not the best soccer player in the world. Uh, I could hold my own ground, but I am no Pele. Um, but there we would use that as an opportunity to reach the community. There was a poor community uh, called Larson's Road, uh, a very small community, and each week we would take these guys and bring them up to the property and play soccer with them. And we would use that as an opportunity to share the gospel with them, teach them. Uh, we were going through a book of Philippians as I was, as I was there uh, working with them. And every Saturday, we pick up in these, these, these old trucks, we pick up these, these kids from that same community, and we bring them up and do the same thing we do at Zanspru. We would just do Bible clubs with them, play games with them, play music, dance with them. I'm not a dancer, uh, but we would just have fun with these guys and share the love of God with them, and we'd do Bible lessons with them. Uh, in my time there, uh, I would also do things like I, every Monday I would go to a detention center, uh, a juvenile detention center, and there, as we go into the, through the gates there, my, myself and two other guys We'll go in and just hang out with these guys, these guys who were believers who wanted to know about God, who wanted to know more about Christ. And so each week we would share uh, a lesson that God has laid on our heart, just really encouraging these guys to, to be lights in a dark community there inside that, that prison. Uh, and many other things were happening through that, those two months there. And one, one in particular, as you look in the bottom left-hand corner, is myself with a bunch of these kids here. Uh, and the guy that my arm is around, his name is Mope, who's one of my good friends in South Africa. Mope, 
I got the opportunity to go to his house for the weekend and helping me to see what was life going to be like in Uganda because where Mope came from, he came from a very poor community. Um, in South Africa, you can still see the effects of the apartheid that happened for years and years, ran by the British. And so at that house, um, I got the opportunity to see what was life like. Uh, and so there, you know, we had no, no refrigerator, no running water, no uh, you know, laundry, whatever the case was, there was none of that. All we had was a little light in the room, and that was pretty much it. And the shower, I didn't have a, a shower, I had to do a basin bath, which was very challenging. I have never done one before, and it's, when you've never done it before, and you try to ask somebody how to do it, who's been doing it their whole life, it's hard to explain it to somebody, like, this is what you do. Uh, and, and through that weekend, God opened up my eyes to kind of see, this is what life is going to be like as I go forward, as I, as I move up to Uganda, because Uganda is a lot more like what Africa is what you kind of picture. It's very poor there. Uh, South Africa, at, at, and parts of it, is very Western. Uh, in, in South Africa, you can't go more than a mile without finding a mall. So if you miss one on this, in this corner here, you go one mile, there'll be the same mall with everything, the exact same thing there. Uh, so South Africa was very Western, but it was, it was eye-opening for me to be there and help me as I transitioned into Uganda. So the next one, this is where Uganda is. Right above Lake Victoria, uh, it's called the Pearl of Africa, and it truly is the Pearl of Africa. So you can go to the next one. This is the, the road going into uh, Word of Life in Uganda. This is the signs of all the ministries we have here. Uh, but in particular, there's a couple of things happening here. Uh, First thing is Word of Life Fellowship Church. Just like we have church here, every Sunday we have church on property. Uh, a Kenyan man by the name of Pastor Wellington is the pastor of the church, and it's a thriving ministry. Uh, every week, our, our service, we range from maybe about 125 to 150 people, and about 75 of those people are kids, probably between the age of 6 and 12. Um, so half our, our church goes when, when we start the sermon. And that ministry is powerful. Uh, we have somebody who's running that ministry who is really impactful, uh, working on teaching these kids Bible lessons, sharing the love of God with these kids to help these kids grow in their faith. Uh, I got the privilege over the last few months and the last year to serve in the teens ministry there uh, inside of Word of Life Fellowship Church. Uh, and in the church, uh, we had about 15 to 20 students each week that would come and the same type of thing. We would go through Bible lessons with them and encourage them to, to not only just take what they're learning here, but to use that as an opportunity to share the gospel as they go out with others. And we fluctuated you know, each week. Uh, but one of the cool things, as, as, I've, as I was leaving, uh, we saw a lot of new people come in, and in particular, a lot of Muslims. In Uganda, the number one religion is Christianity. Uh, but that is a very broad term because... A lot of these, these people would claim to be Christians, but yet their life is far from the truth. Or they go to churches that are what's called prosperity gospel churches, meaning that these, these pastors come in and say, hey, if you, wanna, if, God, if you want this, God has you have to give more money for us, and then God will bless you in this way. And, and, and so they're just stealing money from these people and expecting these blessings to come, and yet nothing is happening. So our church wants to be a, a solid church in that area of Makandwa, uh, in that area so that we can make an impact for the kingdom. The next thing you see is we have an internet... Oh, no, you can go back. No, it's okay. You... Okay, we got it. We're good. Okay, we're all good. We got to love technology, guys. So, the next thing we have is an international school. Um, there at the international school, it is a K-12 through 12 
K through 13, I don't know what the 13th grade is. I still ask questions. Nobody's told me what the 13th grade is. I don't know if you failed 12th and you get 13. I don't know, I don't know what it is, but they, they have a 13th grade. Uh, inside the school, it's, un, it's ran under the Cambridge system in, in, in Britain. So it's a very good school uh, to the point of if you want to be a part of the school, you have to get like a five-year waiting list to get into this school. Um, but this school is really amazing. The director who started this school said, in each of these classrooms, we're not gonna, we can make this a huge school. I mean, a lot of schools in Uganda are big, you know, mega schools, thousands of students in a, a graduating class. But he said, we're only going to keep it about 20 students per classroom. And the reason being is that we want to make sure that, that these students are being discipled and encouraged so that they can develop relationships with their teachers. So it's not going to be such a huge school to bring in more money. The idea is, let's focus on discipling these kids as they come in here. Uh, so we have an international school that, that goes throughout the whole year. And their, and their school break system is very different than ours here. I still don't understand how they do their system, how they have breaks. Yeah, they'll go for a few weeks, and next thing I know, they're off for four weeks. And that's just Uganda. Um, so that's the international school. The next ministry there is local church ministries, which is a word of life in New York thing. Uh, but in Uganda, uh, it, it's being used in a mighty way. There... Uh, I got the opportunity to serve there for a little bit in each of these different ministries. But in the local church ministries, what they do is each week they, they, they started doing Bible lessons and they go to these schools and universities and they would you know, teach these guys lessons to help them grow in their faith, kind of like what we have for Vintage or Crew. Uh, vintage now, I guess. Uh, so these guys they go in and they, they teach here. But what they ended up doing is they said, look, why are we going in and teaching when we can teach people how to teach? And so what they're doing now is they're working on training people. So they might have people come in on, on certain weekends or go out on certain weekends and train leaders. So that way they don't have to keep going in and they can move into different parts of Uganda. Because where we are in Uganda, we're staying mostly in between Kampala and Entebbe, which are the two of the major cities in Uganda. And so that's where the most people are. But yet, that's a small part of the country. And we want to be able to go to all parts of Uganda. So the idea is that we're training these people now so that way we can move out further into the country of Uganda to reach the tribes, the jungles, and whatnot. And through the local church ministries, they just finished up doing camps here in the last few weeks with the Bible Institute students. And so, as you see here, the last thing on here is the Word of Life Africa Bible Institute. So you can go to the next slide now. This is our student class for this year. Uh, Some students are missing in this picture, but there are 23 students here at the Bible Institute this year. Uh, countries represented are South Africa, Zimbabwe, Uganda, Kenya, Rwanda. And we just had a student who graduated from Liberia in West Africa. Uh, and, and coming in t- for the next week, we're having about five more students come in. Some from South Africa, some from Liberia. Uh, but the idea is these students are coming in to get grounded in the Word of God. You can go to the next slide. So my, my role in Uganda is what's called the Discipleship Coordinator. In other words, the DC. They call me the guy DC. Uh, my nickname there, by the way, is Mazungu. Uh, so my name, which means white person in Luganda. So, so for these, students, these guys call me the, the DC. People in the community call me Mazungu. But anyways, um, these students, we had 23 students here. And my job is to disciple and make sure everything is running well. I'm kind of like what you would say a pastor for these guys. Um, so each week... Uh, I'm, I'm teaching. Uh, I'm, I'm teaching two things in particular right now. We're doing a study through First Thessalonians, 
with some of the students, and then we're also doing a leadership class. We read the, through the book Shepherding a Child's Heart by David Tripp. Some of you have read that, who have been in a, in a parenting class. But the idea is we're not just teaching. You know, We're not trying to be, as I teach these RAs, how do, how do you disciple the guys in your room? It's not just lording your authority over somebody. It's the idea of you want to shepherd these, these guys to help them grow. So my job as a DC is to teach every week. Uh, I'm working on discipling. As you can see up in the top left corner here, uh, there are five guys there. Uh, each of those five guys uh, is an RA uh, at the Bible Institute, uh, resident assistant. And so my job is to mentor and disciple a couple of those guys in particular and really pour into their life to make sure that everything is running well in the rooms, making sure that they're growing in their faith uh, and, and things like that. So in the top left corner, that's me with a couple of the guys. In the bottom left-hand corner, this is the group of, of this, the guy students there this year. Uh, it's a funny picture because this class, these guys are really funny. Uh, we played the game. I, I taught the guys how to play Mafia over there. Uh, and, and for those who do know Mafia, it's a fun game. But I've never played with people that are more fun with Mafia than these guys here. Whenever they took out the Mafia, the whole, everyone would freak out. We have to stop for about five minutes of celebrating for the win. So they're, they're a really fun group of guys, really passionate about the Word of God. Uh, and so on the right here, and these two pictures here, uh, these are students in ministry. So part of my job is to teach, shepherd, disciple, and I'm also joining them in different ministries. Uh, in particular, we've done open-air evangelism. Uh, these students are grounded in the Word of God each and this year. And so through this year, they've had classes like Old Testament survey, uh, theology, and in the next semester, they'll have New Testament survey, uh, and more theology. But these guys here... They're taking a new class each week, just like Word of Life in New York, for those who have completed it or know about it. And so, one of the weeks they taught, they, they learned, was personal evangelism. How do we share the gospel with people? And so, these guys have had four opportunities to go out and do open-air evangelism. We've gone to places like a community called, uh, what's the name of it? Kajansi. We, uh, we went to a trade show. We went to a university. Uh, we've, done, we've done many opportunities to do open-air evangelism. And through that, we've reached hundreds and hundreds of people with the gospel, probably close to 1,000 people. We've had a couple hundred come to know Christ as a result. And so the idea is that when we teach these, these guys about the gospel and who Christ is, that we want to get these guys connected in church. So if we're going out to a community like Kajansi, we get them connected to a church that's in that area. When we went to a college campus, that same day we had a, a college ministry going on. Bible club. So get them involved with there. Get them connected as they grow. And so one of my other jobs is to try to meet their needs any way that I can, just kind of like a pastor does. Uh, so a lot of times it's, it's emotional. I've had to deal with issues of, of, of students bickering and arguing with each other and trying to deal with heart issues. Uh, that's one of the challenging parts is, is trying to minister to somebody that way. Uh, financially, you know, Africa is a very poor area, especially in Uganda. So I've had the opportunity to bless people uh, in, certain, in different ways that I was able to when God has blessed me that way. So that's kind of a, a small version of what my job is. And there's a lot more involved in there. And I could spend hours telling you about what I do each week. Uh, so, but I'm not going to bore you to death that way. Uh, so things to be praying for as I move forward. Prayer as I go back uh, for strength and energy to meet the needs of the students. Uh, I've had you guys be praying for the last year. Uh, about some stomach issues. Uh, I was blessed with another stomach infection uh, the week before I came back. Uh, I think I lost another five pounds as a result of that. 
but it was a blessing. And so prayers, I go back uh, that I can serve effectively, that I can meet the needs of the students, that I can uh, find out how to help myself so I don't get sick again. Uh, it's not a fun few days of trying to fight that. Second thing, pray for the students as they go into ministry in the next semester. Uh, one of the things they're going to start doing now is they're going to start getting connected in different Bible clubs in different schools around the area. So be in prayer for them as they go in and do those things. Uh, we're going to do a ministry called Born Again to a Living Hope, which is a very, very powerful drama that these students do. It's, it's, about a, it's, it's a true story of these, these couple from Argentina uh, who got AIDS. And through their, their, their time and their, as they're dying, they get an opportunity to go to a camp, a Word of Life camp. And at that camp, both of those guys, the, both the male and the woman and the husband, get saved. And, and it's their story. It's a powerful story of how they came to know Christ from when they first got addicted to drugs, got AIDS, and how they got saved. And it's, and it's a powerful, powerful drama. And so these students are getting ready to do that this next semester in different schools, churches, uh, and many different areas. Whenever we have an open door, that's what we're going to go for. Pray for camps, too. Uh, we'll do a lot of weekend camps coming up forward so we can meet the needs of their academic criteria to graduate. So we might do things like uh, a day camp with some of the students in the community, teenagers, or it could be a day camp with some of the little, the little kids. So be in prayer for that as we go forward. And I will join the students in some of these different areas. And also you can be praying for one more thing, too. These students will go on internships. So for about three weeks, they will go out in different parts of Uganda, and Kenya, and Rwanda, I'll get an opportunity to serve in a different organization or a church uh, for a couple of weeks. So these students are praying for support, praying for uh, just the needs as they get ready to go. Some are nervous to, to go into these areas. So be, be in prayer for the students as they do those things. Pray for the students and their next step in their lives. A lot of these students will do full-time ministry, whether it's being a pastor, whether it's uh, and being involved with an organization like Word of Life or another organization. But these students need prayer because they don't know. For some, they do know what they're going to do. Some don't know what they're going to do. Some are, are concerned about how they're going to get to that point of what they want to do. So be in prayer for these students as they do that. Pray for open doors of the gospel. Please do. Uh, we need many open doors and, and make sure that, we're, that these students are prepared to go and do that. Last thing, pray that the students will continue to grow as they go back home and make an impact for the kingdom. Uh, these students are going to finish up in June. They'll graduate, and they'll go back home, or they'll go to university. Or some, if, if they have the finances too, some will go into second year in New York. And they will go, and they will, they will learn for a year. So be in prayer for these students as they uh, make an impact for the kingdom. Each of these students are excited to serve God. They are ready to go back and ready to make an impact. And it's cool to see. It's kind of like a raging bull. You know, as, as we're getting ready for the end of the semester, these students were excited to go home and just make an impact for the kingdom in their short time they had home. So please be in prayer for that. That's, that's kind of my update on my ministry and what's been happening. And if you have any questions, please talk to me. I'd love to talk to you a little bit about what's going on. I leave next Sunday, Lord willing, as long as the weather is okay, uh, up for Word of Life in New York, in Scroon Lake. It's about a five-hour drive. I'll be there for a week. And then I drive home for a day or two, uh, do some laundry because here I get to wash my laundry in a washing machine. In Uganda, I wash it in a basin. Uh, so I want to wash it as much as I can before I go back. Um, so please, please, if you want to talk to me, please let me know. I would love to update you on different things and, and whatnot. Yeah, so that's kind of happening. And I leave the 23rd of January 
uh, for another 30, 40 hours of flying into Uganda. So please bring in prayer for that. So my job, as I've said, is what's called the discipleship coordinator. And through this job and through this opportunity, I've had the time to study a little bit. What is discipleship? What is true discipleship? And what does that look like? Growing up in this church here, I got to see it firsthand. Uh, going, moving into different countries, different states. I spent a year in Florida, uh, in South Africa, in Uganda, and, and spending time at different churches. I've had, I've, I'm asking the question, what is true discipleship? What is true discipleship? And I'm not going to go into details about what is discipleship, because if you guys have been in Sunday school for the last few weeks, you've gotten the opportunity to be a part of that, to see what is discipleship. But I want to I look at kind of the motives behind discipleship and what is kind of the benefit and the, what does it look like played out. So as I, as I load up my technology here too, we're going to look at what is true discipleship. So you can go to the next slide. What is a disciple? Well, the ancient Greek word for disciple is matates. Matates, for any of you ancient Greek scholars, I'm very sorry if I really screwed that up and I didn't say that correctly. But the word is matates, which is generally referred to as a pupil, student, apprentice, or adherent, opposed to a teacher. In other words, you can call it a learner. A disciple is a learner. In the word discipline, we know the word disciple is found there. Uh, the idea is correcting. As a kid growing up, uh, I got in trouble a lot. You can ask my parents. I got some of my teachers here from school, and they can attest to the fact that I got in trouble a lot. But my parents, whenever I would do something wrong, my parents didn't, you know, they would spank me or I'd get grounded. But the idea for them was not to lord their authority over me or, or to, to make my life miserable, to show that they're the boss and I'm not. Their idea was to correct me and to train me in the way I should walk. It was a learning opportunity for me when I was, when I was disciplined that way. Another case is an example of, of, of training the body like a professional athlete does, is they train their body they discipline their body to become the best that they can be. I think of a guy like LeBron James, uh, who has been one of the best basketball players in the NBA over the last 15 years. And we can have an argument about this later if you want to. I'm not here to do that. But LeBron James has, has, has he puts about $1.5 million a year in his body. Uh, that's to training, nutrition, uh, rehab, all these things so that he can be the best that he can be. And for about 15 years, he's had a full 100% healthy career. Because he's disciplined his body. He's trained his body to be the best that he can be. And the same is kind of true when we look at disciple. It's, it's learning. It's training. And so that's what we're looking at here. What is a disciple? The, the disciple, the standard definition of a disciple is a noun. is someone who adheres to the teaching of another. It is a follower or a learner. It refers to someone who takes up the ways of somebody else. And we look at personal discipleship. And that's what we're going to look at today. Personal discipleship. It is discipleship that has the focus of training another person to become more like Christ. The focus and training to have another person become more like Christ. This means that when discipleship is done in action, it can be done in three different ways. Number one, most generally we think of as a new believer. The idea that somebody gets saved, and so we take this person and, and we see this person grow in their walk. And it's most generally what we think of. But yet, that's one way we can look at it, and that's an important piece of discipleship as they get saved to grow in their walk. A second way you can look at it is somebody who might be struggling in their faith. Somebody who's living in sin. Somebody who's going through a hard time. 
uh, we can take that person and help that person grow in their walk and come back to Christ if they're, if they're walking away or they're in a, in a tough situation. That's the second way. But third thing, and this is most important, someone who's mature in their faith. No matter what the case is, there is not a time where we don't need a discipler. And it's important because I think a lot of us bypass this and we don't think about this. But each of us needs a discipler in our walk. Our walk. Because the idea is that we're trying to train another person and teach that person to become more like Christ. Everyone needs to be discipled. And our main verse we're going to stick with today is the Great Commission. A very famous verse in Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Most of us know this verse here. Uh, so if you want to flip in your Bible to Matthew 28, 18 through 20, this will be our, our hounding ground here. And then we will dive into a little bit more and break down this verse here and, and use different verses to kind of back this up. So Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And I'm going to load up this on my, my laptop here too. It says this here, Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Nothing new. Most of us have heard this verse before. But I want to look at a few things that what discipleship is not just. So discipleship is not just evangelism. When we look at this verse, we think of going to all the world and make disciples. A lot of us think all we have to do is go and convert people to Christianity. And that's not, that is part of the process of discipleship. But that's not just what discipleship is. Because the command is not to go and make Christians. It's going to make disciples. Second thing, discipleship is not just teaching. Now, this is, takes up the majority of what discipleship is. Discipleship is mostly teaching, but inside this verse here, you see things like baptism and making disciples, so sharing the gospel with others. So teaching is mostly what discipleship is, but it is not just fully that. The third thing is, baptism is not, ba- discipleship is not just baptism. Um, that's part of the verse. Uh, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. But discipleship is not just baptism. And it's an important part in the discipleship process as you're taking somebody who's a new believer and the symbol of what baptism is, the idea to help this person uh, realize that their old life is gone, they've been washed by the blood of the Lamb, and their new life is here. And it's an important ordinance in the Christian life. It's not just baptism. The last thing is discipleship is not just church attendance or church involvement. Uh, and this one here is a little tricky because it's important to be a part of a church. It's important to be involved. But yet the thing is, we can just be involved in a church or attending a church and yet nothing is happening. And we're going to look at the motives of what discipleship is. And it can help with our church attendance and involvement to be serving in different areas. So now we're going to look at a couple of things here, what discipleship truly is, the motives behind it, and how it's executed. So the first thing about discipleship is that it is demanding. Discipleship is demanding. Discipleship is not meant for the faint of heart. Our verse is Luke 9.23. You can flip over to there, Luke 9.23. 
I'm sorry I'm drinking a lot of water. I think I'm getting sick now, guys. Uh, My family's been sick right now. I think I'm joining them in the fun. Luke 9.23 says this. Then he said to them all, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily, and follow me. First thing he says to these group of people is that you must deny yourselves. One of the things is, is about discipleship, and I think a lot of times in our walk, there's this S word that we don't like. Uh, a lot of times people might even call it a swear word. Not verbally, but in their hearts. And the word is sacrifice. A lot of time, Nobody really says they love sacrifice. We can sing about it all day in songs. We can talk about how we'll sacrifice this. But when, it, when the rubber meets the road, a lot of times we don't like, disi- we don't like sacrifice. And that's key. Sacrifice is a crucial part of the process of discipleship. He tells, that, he tells these people that if you're going to, to make disciples, because we're told by Jesus to go and make disciples, and to make disciples, you have to be a disciple of Christ. The idea is that if we're going to make disciples, we must sacrifice. It might mean less of your desires. It might mean less of what you love most. I love sports a lot. I love my family. And, and, and if we're going to see true discipleship happening, I might mean I have to give up less of what I want. I love sleep. For those who know me, I love sleep. And, and if true discipleship is going to be put into action, it might mean less of what I want. And fill in the blank for you guys. Whatever that is, it might mean less of what you truly want for discipleship to be done effectively. The attitude of discipleship needs to be of Philippians 2, 3, and 4, which says, Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, Regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Discipleship is not meant for your benefit. It is not meant for you. The idea of discipleship is meant for the other person. If, if, if the motive behind you doing discipleship is for your benefit, it won't be truly done effectively. And you don't know what you're hindering when you do that. See, one of the issues we've, we've seen you can go a couple more. Uh, you know, one of the things that I've been reading through the book of Acts and looking at the early church, what was the early church like? Well, you know, when we look at the early church, we look at Christ, when he died, rose again, he ascends into heaven. And when he does that, he, he gives them the great commission, he ascends, and then they wait. They wait, and then the day of Pentecost happens, and then the church just explodes. It, it booms. And so, why did that happen? Why, why did the church just explode like that? And why aren't we seeing the same kind of thing happening today? Well, one of the things is, as, as we look at what, was the, what mattered most of these people. See, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put God and church here together here. So you can go. So at the center of everything, it was God and church. And then everything else just fell into place. You can go. Yep. Everything else just fell into place. Everything mattered first. They were constantly breaking bread with each other, being with each other all the time. They were selling everything they had. Why? For the benefit of one another. God and church was at the center of what they wanted to do, and everything else just fell into place. See, one of the situations we've ran into today in the modern church is that we put ourselves in a lot of these areas here. We put ourselves first. What are my needs? What are my desires? What are the things that I want to do the most? And then maybe we, we fit our family and friends or 
whatever the case is, our, our passions, desires, our interests, and whatnot. And, and God, we'll put God in here somewhere. You know, God might, might fit maybe in our family and friends or our passions and the desires. And we won't verbally say this, but it's not about what our words are saying. It's what's in our hearts. And so the thing is, God finds his way somewhere in there. See, the difference is that God was the center of the early church. And so for them, when they says sacrifice, when it's denying yourself, this is easy because God is at the center of their hearts. And that's where it needs to be for us. If we're going to live sacrificially, we need to have God be at the center of our life. The next thing he tells them is to take up their cross daily. Now, this is not a literal thing, all right? I have not picked up a cross once and walked around with it. Uh, and if this is the command, then I think most of us have messed this up. And one of the things is, that when he says, take up your cross daily, this is before Jesus went to the cross. And so, we know what the cross means to us now. And we beautify the cross because we know the symbol of what it meant. But for these guys here, uh, it was a torture device. It was a murder weapon. It's what we would like, think of our electric chair today. Uh, and he tells them to take up their cross daily. Like, for instance, if somebody from the early church were to come up the hill, see our cross up front, uh, you know, on, on the grass out there, and see our cross up front here, they would think we're nuts. They would think that we are heathens, that we are pagans, that we just murder everybody. Because that's what the cross was. The cross was meant to kill. It was not meant to beautify. But yet, that's the point. See, what Jesus is saying here, he says, it's the effort behind what you do. It's, it's, when you carry a cross like this, a cross is heavy. It's tiresome. It's challenging. It's cumbersome. It's, it's everything you could think of. But that's the point. If we're going to have true discipleship done effectively, it needs to be sacrificial. It's going to be demanding, so it's going to be heavy. It's going to be tiresome because we're not just dealing with surface-level issues. We're dealing with issues of the heart. Next thing he says is to follow him. And this here is a, is a, when we think follow, we think of a broad term. I think of myself as a kid in school. You know, as you're a little kid in school, they tell you to line up behind everyone's single file line, or you might hold somebody's hand, and you've got to find a place in line. And usually as a kid, I like to be in the back. I don't like to be in the front. When we think of follow him, you can be in the back, or you can be in the front. We kind of think that way. But this, this word follow him means to investigate. It means to to. Take time to study. Get to know more. What does this guy mean when Jesus says to follow him? It is constantly searching what this truth is. And so as you are searching, as you're investigating, studying, knowing more about God and more and more about Christ, you are taking somebody alongside with you. Because as you're being discipled, you are making disciples, just like Jesus has commanded us. So he tells us to deny ourselves, take up our cross daily, and follow him. So the first thing about discipleship, it is demanding. The second thing about discipleship, it is intentional. So not only is discipleship demanding, it is also intentional. A couple of verses here we're going to go to. Proverbs 4.23. So you can flip over to there. Proverbs says this, Proverbs 4.23, watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of, of life. Watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. Everything we do comes from our hearts. What matters most in our lives? 
and it flows out of our hearts. And Jesus reiterates this in the, in the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, Matthew 12, 34. It says this, You brood of vipers, how can you, being evil, speak what is good? For the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. The idea that these are Pharisees that Jesus is telling this to, and these guys were evil. And so he says, how can you do this? Your heart is full of evil. And so the thing about discipleship, it is not, in the medical sense, it's not just going to the doctor, and the doctor prescribes you medicine for a certain situation, and you go back, take the medicine, and you feel better in a few days. Discipleship is more like open heart surgery. It's going deep after the issues of the heart. So if we're going to do discipleship correctly, it needs to be intentional. Our actions and what we do come deep within our hearts. So we're going after the heart of the issue. We're not just dealing with surface level things. We're going deep into the heart. A kind of a story here about this. Uh, growing up as a kid, and you can go to the next one. Uh, this is not my house, but... My house looked very different than where it is now. This is my house now. That is my house now. So, most of you guys, if you drive by, if you don't know where I live, I live on Main Street, a lot of you know where, I, where I'm from. This is what my house looks like now. Uh, very different from where it did 10, 12 years ago. And the next slide, this is what my house used to look like. We had huge bushes, huge trees. Uh, and so, in this picture here, my dad and I, about 10, 12 years ago, my dad wanted to take out these bushes out front and, this, and these large kind of tree bush thing. Not the trees up front. Those were taken out at a different time. But he wanted to take out those bushes. So he said, Tyler, we're going to go out and we're going to take these bushes out. And so I said, cool. And I thought, this is going to be easy. This is going to be fun. <laughs> I was not a smart kid. Uh, so we spent time, and, and so my thought was, let's just chop the top off, let's make this a stump, and let's go inside. It's easy. <laughs> my dad said, no, that's, that's not what it is. And I probably asked him a hundred times, why are we doing this whole process? But we, we spent weeks, and he said, we have to go deep into the roots to take out these trees out so that they won't grow back. So for weeks, throughout probably 10, 12 years ago, in one summer... My dad and I went outside, and we dug deep into the ground, maybe five or six feet deep, pulling all the roots, ripping through different parts of the roots. It, just, it was a gross process. It was very dirty, very hot. But the idea of doing that was to get these bushes out so that they would not grow back at all. And that was 10, 12 years ago. And again, if you go to the next slide, you see this is my house now. It, we have not had an issue with these bushes because we went deep into the roots Try to fix this thing here. And the same is true with discipleship. We can't just look at the surface level of something and say we're going to fix the outward behavior. Because discipleship is not behavioral modification. It's not trying to fix somebody and make them a better Christian. It's going deep into the heart of somebody's life and fixing that so that way their outward actions are different. Discipleship is addressing issues of the heart. If you flip over to the book of Luke, Luke 18 we're going to look at Luke 18, 18 through 23. We're going to look at the first three verses, stop for a second, and then address the last two verses. But this is Jesus talking to the rich young ruler. You know, a very famous story in the scriptures. Most of us know it. But in Luke 18, we're going to look at the first three verses here. Luke 18, 18 through 21. It says this. A ruler questioned him, saying, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? 
And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And then he responds. He says, All these things I have kept from my youth. And if we stop there, this is a cookie-cutter Christian. This is the guy that we see that this guy is, is what we want. Like if, we're, if we have a youth group kid, and we see a kid that comes in and he's very out of control, very impulsive... When we see this kid finish and he does all these things, we, we think we've done a great job. This is a cookie-cutter Christian. And he's, and, he's, and he's got his money, too. But Jesus doesn't just look at this and say, Oh, good. You can walk away now. We're, we, you've done all these things here. Jesus goes right after the heart. In the next two verses, he says to him, When Jesus heard this, he said to him, One thing you still lack. Sell all that you possess and distribute it to the poor. And you shall have treasures in heaven. And come and follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. See, if Jesus had just stopped and said, okay, good, you, you, you fill the criteria of a good Christian, we would not have the situation here. But Jesus went right after his heart. He knew at the heart of his life was money, and he knew he was rich. So Jesus was intentional about asking that question and saying, sell everything you have and come and follow me. He went right after the heart. And the same is true with believers, with us today. If we're going to disciple, we have to be intentional about what we do. So it, be, it becomes more demanding if we're going to be intentional with, with other people. We have to think through how we're doing this in our lives. How are we being intentional with others? If we're not doing this, we're not going to have true discipleship put into action. So the first thing about discipleship, it is demanding. Second thing, it is intentional. The third thing, it is rewarding. Discipleship is rewarding. If you go to the book of 3 John, we'll look at verse 4 here. And when I say the word rewarding, some of you might think I'm contradicting myself. But yet, the idea is at the motive of your heart, it is for the benefit of somebody else. But there is that reward. Now, it's not a physical money reward like we think. When I work a job, I get paid for my services of what I do. It is not like that. And we'll see in 3 John verse 4. One chapter in the book of 3 John, it says this. I have no greater joy than this, to hear of my children walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than this, to hear of my children walking in the truth. In a world full of grossness, evil, perverseness, all these things, John says nothing in this, joy bring, nothing in this world brings him more joy than to hear of the people that he's ministered to, discipled, walking in the truth. And the key word is true joy. Discipleship brings joy because you're helping somebody live in obedience. Because after you're working with issues of the heart, as you're dealing with different things, uh, and this person, you're teaching them to walk in obedience when Christ and the Holy Spirit tells them to do something. And so for, for John and for us, we know that this brings true joy, is to live in obedience with God. A great example of this is Paul's relationship with Timothy. We have a great example because Paul took on Timothy. In kind of a background a little bit, Paul had the opportunity to disciple Timothy because he met him, he found that Timothy had good, he was a good, faithful man, and he got the opportunity, they say, some scholars say they actually led him to the Lord. And so Paul saw his character and he said, I want you, Paul, Paul saw Timothy's character and he said, I want you to come, join me on my journeys as we go out. And so Paul brought Timothy along. A couple slides more. 
So Paul brought Timothy along, and Timothy was an active member, a part of Paul's team. He was faithful. And so as time went on, and Paul got the opportunity to firsthand disciple him, he says, Timothy, now you go. So Timothy has the opportunity to, to, to pastor a church, and lead a church, and disciple others. And the, and the verse that he tells them in, in, in 2 Timothy 1, 3 and 4 he says this to him, I thank God whom I serve with a clear conscience the way my forefathers did as I constantly remember you in my prayer night and day longing to see you even as I recall with tears that, so that I may be filled with joy. The idea that he has so much joy and, 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 and faithfulness because Timothy is serving God and a person that he first hand discipled, he has so much joy as a result of this. And so the same is true with us. Yes, it's, it's tiresome, it's, it's challenging, it's in, if we're going to be intentional, but yet there's a reward because we have true joy. The fact that it comes from the Holy Spirit, there is true joy through discipleship. So we've seen that discipleship is demanding. It's intentional, it's rewarding, and the last thing, it's for everyone. This is not a new truth for us, it's for everyone. And this is found back in the Great Commission, right, right where we started from, Matthew twenty-eight nineteen. It says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. This is not just a command given to the first disciples. This is not just a command given to those guys to do it, and we, we sit back and we just have fun. It's a command to believers today, that we need to be a part of it. See, as believers... If you're a believer in Christ, you're given, you're given a new spiritual DNA. 2 Corinthians 5.17, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things passed away, behold, new things have come. And so if you're a believer in Christ, you have a whole new identity, a new spiritual DNA. The idea is for us is to want to make disciples. And that's part of our DNA. In 2 Timothy 2, 1 and 2, he says this here. This is Paul again writing to Timothy. You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that I am, I in Christ Jesus. The things which you heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, and trust those to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Paul gives this same command to Timothy. As you've, been, as you've heard this from me, teach others to do the same thing. In a book by David Platt, who anyone who went to the cross conference this last week heard this guy teach a couple of times, uh, and so David Platt wrote this book called Follow Me. And in this book, he talks about his struggle as, as he got, they got married. He and his wife, they wanted to have kids. Uh, and they, they tried for years. They, nothing was happening. And so they went to the doctors, and the doctor said, you're infertile. You can't bear children. So they, they prayed about it. They felt like God was leading them to, to adopt. So they went to a foreign country, adopted the child, brought him back. Three months later, they realized they were pregnant. We serve a cool God. Same thing happens again. They, they say, you know what? After a couple of years later, they want to they serve. They want to they get another child to adopt. Same thing. They go to another country, come back. Same thing. A couple months later, they find out they're pregnant again. And so he talks about this as he talks about uh, spiritual reproduction in the Christian sense here. He says this in his book here. Looking back on years of infertility, Heather and I remember the hurts the heartaches of longing to have children, yet finding those longings to be unfulfilled with every passing month. We constantly felt the frustration that comes with realizing that there was something physically wrong that prevented this blessing. The Lord used this lesson to teach me, though, and today I am convinced that a similar truth thing can be said of the Christian life. 
By God's design, he has wired his children for spiritual reproduction. He has woven into the fabric of every single Christian's DNA a desire and ability to reproduce. More than any married couple longs to see baby naturally born, every Christian longs to see sinners supernaturally saved. All who know the love of Christ yearn to multiply the life of Christ. God has formed, fashioned, and even filled Christians with his own spirit for this very purpose. I think then it's reasonable to conclude that something is spiritually wrong at the core of a Christian if his or her relationship with Christ is not resulting in reproduction. Maybe more plainly put, wherever you find a Christian who is not leading men and women to Christ, something is not right. To be a disciple of Jesus is to make disciples of Jesus. And I hope we've seen this has been true ever since the first century when Jesus invited four men to follow him. His words have echoed through this book, Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. More, than, more important than searching for fish all over the sea, these men would spread the gospel all over the world. They would give their lives, not simply to being disciples of Jesus, but sacrificially to making disciples of Jesus. And God's design for 21st century disciples is exactly the same. Jesus calls every one of us, his disciples, to make disciples who make disciples until the gospel penetrates every group of people in the world. The idea from the whole beginning of scripture is be fruitful and multiply it's a command given to first Adam and Eve he tells them be fruitful and multiply the earth he says the same thing to Noah after he wipes out the earth and, and, and there's a couple of people left he says the same thing be fruitful and multiply and he says the same thing today to us as believers the command go therefore and make disciples the idea is, is exponential growth multiply that way and exponential growth is an interesting thing uh, it's the idea that, that when we think of life, we think of addition. But the idea in the Christian walk, again, is multiplication. And so if we look at exponential growth, this is what it is. So the idea is if I take one or two people, a couple of people, and I pull into their life, and I'm being intentional about what they're doing. And let's say I spend a year doing this, and then I tell those two people the same thing. You too, you take two people yourself. So as this process happens, they do the same thing for a year. They go, they make disciples, they, they disciple two people, and they pour in their life, and the same thing happens over and over and over again. This is exponential growth. And so over a period of time, you see the numbers go from one to two. So the first year, if we look at in, 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 a, in a sense of years, if I disciple two people, and the same thing keeps happening over and over again for years to come, this is just one person doing this. If one person disciples two people in the first year, you have two people. If they do the same thing in the second year, you have four people. The next year, at year three, you have eight people. Because the processes keep happening. Exponential growth. Next year, at year four, is 16 people. And we won't go through every single year here, guys. Promise me here. But at year 10, let's jump to, 10, to year 10. If one person just says, I'm going to pour into two people's life, and over, over the period of 10 years, everyone's doing the same thing that they've discipled, They'll be at about 1,024 people in the, in the course of 10 years. Jump forward to 16, year 16. If, if the process keeps happening, that one person who was faithful to disciple has reached 65,539 people in the, in the course of 16 years. Now, if that's the case, that's all, of, that's all of Allegheny County reached by one person who was faithful to reach those people. Jump to year 17. The personnel have reached 1, 131,072 people, which is both Allegheny County and most of Steuben County combined. Year 25, 
33,554,432 people if the process of discipleship is happening. That means we've hit all of New York State and, and more through that. We jump to year 30. We've, featured, we've hit over 1 billion people with the, with the gospel. We've made 1 billion disciples because of the actions of one faithful person to make disciples of all nations. So first things we realize is that discipleship is demanding. Second thing, it is intentional. Third thing, it's rewarding. And it's for everyone. And if you're following along here, you've realized that, that the acronym there is DIRE. Demanding, intentional, rewarding, and it's for everyone. It is dire. It is urgent. And when we think of the word dire, we think of an emergency. You know, imagine a loved one who has a heart attack. We're not going to comfort that person on the couch and say, okay, you feel okay as, we, as we're just, we're going to work to f- figure out what we can do to help you out. No, if, if, if there is an emergency, you are going to fly to the hospital. You are going to do what you, you're going to break every law in the book to get that person to the hospital to save that person's life. And yet the idea as believers now is we need to live with that attitude. That it is an urgent thing to make disciples. Because again, we've seen this world is dark and we need to change it. Just like the early church, as they made disciples of all nations, we too need to do the same thing today. So a couple of questions to ask ourselves as we finish up here. Number one, are you currently a disciple of Christ, of Jesus right now? Have you come to a point in your life where you've realized you're a sinner because we all are? And because we've sinned, we deserve hell. And, but Jesus didn't just look at us and say, okay, well, you guys, I'm sorry, guys, that's it. No, he came down in the form of man, God, living a perfect life, taking on your sin at the cross, dying for you, three days later, rising again, conquering sin, conquering death. Have you come to a point where you've, you've realized that in your life and you've come to God and asked, and, and, and asked for forgiveness and asked him to be your savior? If you have not done that, please talk to me today or talk to somebody here who has brought you because it is crucial to be an important, it is important to be a disciple of Christ. Number two, are you currently being discipled right now? As we looked earlier, discipleship is not just meant for new believers or someone struggling. It is meant for everyone. And it is crucial for you because if you're going to pour into somebody's life, you need somebody pouring into your life. So who is currently discipling you right now? Third thing, are you discipling anyone right now? Can you, can you count in your hand? You say, I'm, I'm discipling this guy here, and I'm discipling this girl here, and this person here. Because if you, if you can't do that, and you don't know who you're discipling currently, then we're not fulfilling the Great Commission, and we're not, we're not being obedient to what God has asked us to do. So who are you discipling right now? And last thing, are there some deeper steps in the discipleship process that you need to dive into? that I need to dive into. As we've seen, discipleship is not just surface-level issues. It's diving deep into the heart. And if we're going to dive deep into the heart, it's going to be demanding. And it's going to be intentional. And if we're going to do that, it's going to be maybe me. We have to take some deeper steps in discipleship. Some of us, myself included, need to think through what are things we are doing in discipleship and evaluate what needs to change going further. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you just for your love. Lord, we thank you just for the opportunity that we have to serve you and to call you our Father. And, and Lord, as, as we looked here and we looked through what is discipleship, what is true discipleship, Lord, you've asked us to, to make disciples, Lord. And if we don't know who we're discipling currently, Lord, Lord, I pray that you will help us to know who that person needs to be, Father, to help that person 
grow in their walk to become more like you, Father. Lord, make that person clear and evident in our lives, Lord. And if there is somebody who we're discipling, Lord, help us to continue to work in that process to intentionally help that person grow in their walk, uh, Lord, because we want to make disciples and that's what you commanded us to do, Lord. So help us to do that, Father. And right now as we enter into communion, help us to get our hearts prepared. Help us to come to the table uh, open and ready for what you have for us today, Lord. Help us all now. In your name I pray. Amen.